And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, that was my second take of that, and there's still no way I did that correctly. Uh, that's Arabic, by the way, for one hand doesn't clap, meaning that it takes teamwork to accomplish something good. Uh, it is thanks to many brave people working together and decisions by some smart folks over the years to ensure that tragedy did not befall our beloved sport this weekend. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good, yeah. Happy to be talking about the race that happened and not the race that could have happened. We could so easily be having a much more difficult conversation. Uh, yeah, so hap- very grateful for that. Uh, we're also grateful for Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, not too bad, and likewise, very glad everyone made it through that race. Uh, If you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening uh, to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explain how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go and listen to that, it's episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, What's been going on in Patreon land this month, Danny? Uh, Our double feature uh, landed with uh, hitting the apex, our uh, sort of the closest equivalent to um, Drive to Survive, but for MotoGP. It's a film all about a particular couple of seasons. I think it was like 2011 through 2013 or something like that um, with a bunch of drivers who were still in the sport, uh, all narrated by Bradley Pitt himself, um, a famed motorcycle enthusiast. So yeah, check that out. And all of our uh, back catalogue, our library of film reviews and primers and everything over on patreon.com slash shift F1. Cool. Uh, just a, a heads up, I guess this, the race recap for this episode will be dominated by, uh, one incident in particular. Uh, we might get to some bullet points from the rest of the race, but you know, maybe don't expect the regular, uh, play by play. Um, yeah, we do have a lot of news though as well. So it's not like we're just going to like, we're not going to gorge over this incident in terms of it's, you know, we're not going to replay it over and over and over again in some gross manner. But, um, I think (laughs) the, the feeling of watching that race was very much, it was hard to shake what had just happened. And, you know, uh, I have notes for this and they're, you know, I can't even remember what happened in half the rest of the race. Uh, you know, what happened being what it was. Yeah, I guess we should still uh, set it up, though. The The grid looks a little like this. Uh, Lewis Hamilton out in front, Valtteri Bottas in second, Max Verstappen in third. Uh, so not a whole lot different there. Uh, Alex Albon <laughs> in fourth, Sergio Perez hey. in fifth, uh, followed by Ricardo, Ocon, Gasly, Norris, and Kvyat, rounding out the top 10. Behind them, the two Ferraris, Vettel and Leclerc, and then Lance Stroll, George Russell, Carlos Sainz in 15th, then Giovinazzi. Kimi Raikkonen, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean, Nicholas Latifi. Kind of the average grid across this whole season. Yeah, not many surprises there. The no. only thing that uh, struck me is yet again, uh, was it was it uh, Stroll who was coming in and like starting to, he was on the radio saying like, looks like we had a mu- miscommunication again, guys. Uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. And they had Omar on the pit wall this this week. And uh, they're like, hey, what's, what's that about? And uh, Safnauer was like, I don't know. Uh, just yet again, just <laughs> wow. weird vibes uh, between like Lance and that team. Um, I yeah. just, oh my God, I am just dying to know. 
what the actual vibes are uh, because yeah, because it's so it, strange. Yeah, it just does seem like that is not a team that is ride or die uh, behind Stroll, um, <laughs> and it seems like there's some fissures starting to appear there. Yeah, um, I also just wanted to highlight George Russell outscoring Nicholas Latifi for I think Russell has outscored his teammate every single time he has qualified which is, I think, 36 or something races, um, pulling even with, I think it's Nelson Piquet for third all-time of oh, right. consecutive times out-qualifying your teammate, the only two drivers ahead of him, Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher. Which were competing for the other side of the grid. <laughs> you know, the other end of the grid, as it were. True, but hey, I mean, the number one rule is to is to beat your teammate, and so far he has done... Uh, pretty well at that um the only other thing that happened i, w- I will probably talk about it in news more though was the pirelli test that happened during q2 i think it was free practice two sorry yes free practice two. could you <laughs> it'd be a bit rough if they did the test in the middle of qualifying good point uh, but yeah i think we'll get to that in the in the news oh there was the cat during practice as well just was it a dog it was, it was a dog that's right yeah but there was yeah. uh beautiful dog yeah, and they had to they had to haul the dog in from the track. Um, so and we had the crash Albon Bindet as well in, in practice. free practice too, I think. Yeah, on the outside of the final turn, um, got up on the dirty, dirty bits there, overcorrected, and had a bad shunt, but was thankfully okay. Um, but yeah, considering how nervy everyone's been about anything Albon does for the past few races, that was not what he needed to do. It was completely destroy that car. Well, they got it fixed for qualifying, and he uh, got fourth. So, mm. good, uh, good coming back. Um, boy, should we just? Do you want to kick it off, Danny? Lap one. Sure, I'll bring it up to. Yeah, we'll do about a quarter of lap one, and then we'll talk about what happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, all things at the front were kind of as it normally is. Hamilton had a great start, and Botas didn't, <laughs> and he found himself getting gobbled up, um, pretty quickly. But the action that is sort of most relevant was having a, happening a little bit further back. And where did Norris qualify? Was it 7th or 8th? Uh, Norris qualified ninth. Ninth. okay. So Norris is the first of a bunch of drivers who get pinched on the opening two corners, which creates a sort of a, uh, uh, what do we call it, the effect? A um, concertina. concertina of people not getting the right exit on two, which was the sort of the the creation of the problem that ended up in Roman Grosjean uh, having an incident. So Norris basically got pinched on the inside by Ocon and the outside by Gasly as they are getting towards the apex of turn two, which are, you know, turn one's pretty heartbreaking zone. Two, you're basically like kind of like feathering the throttle or going out, you know, flat out if you're in the front, um, but you're never really braking there. So Norris has to brake to basically get, uh, you know, a little bit of, um, to, to protect himself against the two of those. This has a little knock-on behind him. Sainz gets caught in, oh, sorry, actually it was Vettel was behind him, which made Vettel break pretty hard. He actually locked up one of his uh, front wheels in so doing. Um, so Sainz gets kind of caught in that. I think Stroll had to go wide to avoid Vettel on the right side. Sainz gets the next person to slow down. And Antonio Giovinazzi gets around him on the exit of turn two. And then you see Kimi Raikkonen trying to take the same line, but it kind of closed. So that's why he was the um, 
Alpha that ended up on that sort of dirty side of the left side of the track. He's trying to make this big sweeping um, overtake around the outside. And the reason for that is that all of these cars have had bad exits on turn two. And as we all know, if you have a bad exit go leading into a straight, it's the cars behind will gain and gain and gain and gain as they reach uh, faster um, performance at a rate that is faster than yours. So the cars behind them can see all this. They've seen them box up. None of them have had to brake yet because they're further back. You know, cars like uh, Raikkonen who were filling that gap or Giovinazzi who were at the pocket, the buffer between cars like Grosjean and Kvyat and what was happening to Sainz and Vettel, they've already made themselves around. So now there's a gap, right? And they're all sort of like trying to align themselves up in the right place so that when they get to the end of that straight into turn three, hard braking zone that they can position the car on the inside and try and um, outbreak people into that turn with relative ease because of their momentum. Kvyat has the best line here. He's on the outside on the right. Everyone else is on the left. All the bunching's happening there. So he's happy. He's going there. Magnussen's in front of him. Uh, he's also in a great spot. He's closer to that pack, but he's still on the outside. He didn't have to break. He's hoping to overtake. Grosjean is behind them. He sees a gap between Magnussen, who's in front of him, and Kvyat, who he probably didn't realize was there. He Chances are he was in his blind spot. He didn't you know, probably wasn't looking at that stage whether or not he wanted, you know, to, to, to glance or whatever, probably couldn't see him in his windows. Whatever the case was, Grosjean sees that the cars in front of him are slowing down, that he's going to have to probably lift a little bit to make sure he doesn't hit the back of them once they get further down that straight. He sees where Kevin is. He knows Kevin's not going to block him off. He can funnel in behind Kevin or maybe sweep around the outside of him. He makes a fairly drastic right turn to try and get in there. Um, the type of turn you can make when you're going fast, accelerate. Sorry, when you're accelerating straight at that level, it's like not that big a deal. Um, we don't tend to see it on turns that you know that often. That type of like bolt. And as he does it, he um, if we go to Kvyat's uh, uh, on board, Kvyat was already actually he was on the right side of the track. There was a bit of space to his right. He was actually moving further right at that time. He actually recognizes Grosjean coming across and tries even more to go right, to get out of the way, but there's nowhere he can go. Um, Grosjean loses. Uh, he basically like hits the front of Kvyat's car and is not very far to travel into a wall that is facing him. Um, the red flags come out, there's an explosion, and everyone holds their breath. Yeah, and it's it feels like forever until we get any confirmation about number one who it is i think they say it, uh, it might be a haas and then then it's then it's grosjean and then you know um a bunch of shots of not the accident because they don't know the condition of the driver and that is that's always the most uh the scariest part um per- personally yeah it was softened a little bit for me because rob had texted us i don't know if you saw this danny but rob had said um hey just a heads up uh, on this race, there's a pretty bad crash, but the driver's okay. So I had read yeah. that before I watched it. Um, and I'm glad spoilers, that spoilers, Rob, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I did. Cause like, yeah, that's a nice uh, you know, spoiler to get. Yeah. That, that it, it'd be terrifying. Um, and you know, for, for a lot of people it, it, it was, but thankfully after about two minutes or so, we do see a shot of Grosjean in the medical car, uh, with his helmet off and, and talking to people. And it's uh, worth mentioning that, like, we didn't see, the, like you said, they didn't show any shots of it, but we did see a car explode. And yes, that it has been a long time 
since in F1 we have seen a car explode. And we saw where the wall was where he hit, and you can surmise, like, you know, I was talking after the fact about how you get a sort of sixth sense for which are the crashes that people walk away from and which ones aren't. Uh, and sometimes innocuous crashes, like Ayrton Senna, we, you know, the Tamburillo Corner incident was not necessarily that type of crash. You could argue what Barrichello's crash a couple of days earlier was worse, looked worse. Um, Barrichello walked away and, and Senna didn't. But usually the bad ones are bad. And that one looked, at no stage did that look like a survivable incident. Or at least if you were to like put your house down like there's no way you'd ever say that somebody's walking away from that yeah and you're right the the cars may occasionally catch fire i mean one did uh later in the race but or even um that was you know a result of an engine issue um occasionally you will have a crash where a fire then starts um but it's not a fireball accompanied by a continuing conflagration yeah no um, I, like i've never seen this in f1 um no. like even during the refueling era where i think you know was it uh gerhard berger the one where it went up in the um in the pits because the fuel caught up and yeah. there's that really dramatic photo of him sort of jumping out of the fire was it was it mm. joss i think so um but either way like even that was different because like that was a fueling uh issue yeah. like in terms of seeing an f1 car like explode um as long as I've been watching the sport, like I can't really think of a time I've seen it. And later in the race, we do see what does it look like when a modern F1 car catches fire for the most part, like a lithium battery, uh, you know, yeah. starting to go up. That's what we're used to seeing at this point. The fuel, uh, like the fuel cell technology has gotten so good that like the idea of the fuel in an F1 car igniting, um, has just become really kind of unfathomable to us. Um, and arguably, that's still not quite what happened here. Um, but yeah, it was it was like during that long pause before you you get any kind of update, and they're not coming back. Like you know, when racing, that means it's bad, and the producers think it's bad because um, usual like the minute they are not cutting to any of the accident, um, you you just and they and they and they stay away from it. Uh, it gets it gets pretty nerve wracking. Um, yeah, and it was. And it was really tough to follow the race after this. Uh, my partner yeah, was sure. like, I think I'm kind of done. She's like, I don't think I like, I don't, I'm having a hard time getting into this race. And I was like, I'm, I'm with you. Like in terms of, um, you know, the emotional arc of the race, like I was completely spent uh, after this. And the rest of it, I was like, yeah, there was some, there was some racing. And, and, and then happened. a thought, a thought for the drivers as well, who they all pull into the pits. But prior to that, and it's been fascinating going to... You know, I was talking a couple of weeks about some of these YouTube channels that um, they put up some of the team radio stuff, right, that doesn't get broadcast. All of those cars, because of the configuration of that circuit, they all turned turn eight and saw a fireball. And every single one, every single one of them asked their engineer who it was and are they, are they okay? Like, because they all came around, they're not used to seeing that type of crap. Like, a fireball is not... That's that's like you know Nikki Lauda that happened to right, mm-hmm. and they saw Nikki Lauda walking around the pits for you know decades with the scars of his incident written on his face, and he was one of the ones who survived that you know very dangerous era. Um, so like what a shock for them, you know they were 
you know, complaining, or we'll get to it again, and complaining earlier in the year about the new fire suits they had to wear. And then suddenly, you know, who is that? And are they out of the car? And nobody knows. And the weird thing was, is that once they started showing replays, it looked worse than I thought. It, it was horrific. Yeah, I I still, I mean, I'm getting chills right now just, just thinking about it. It is, it could not be, if you had seen this in a movie, it would be too, you wouldn't believe it. It's too unreal. Um, he, so we do get shots of Groshen in the, in the medical car. And then it still lasts uh, a, a while until we can get um, shots of the the accident itself. I think because they were checking to make sure that no marshals were were injured as well. Right. Um, but once they got confirmation of that, they they then showed it again. And the first time that I saw the impact site, I didn't really understand what I was seeing because you have the most visible thing is the fireball, and then the other thing your eye is drawn to is the back half of a, an F one car. Which doesn't really it doesn't really make any it's like it's sheer it's like a laser cut it off. Um, yeah. You know you expect in crashes for you know the car to sort of uh, disintegrate pieces to come off. This is almost a, a whole back end of the car, which is number one weird. And then your brain goes, well, where's the front of the car? It must be in the fireball. And if that's the case, where is Grosjean? I mean, by this point we know that he got out, but then you see a human form emerge from the flames, leap over the guardrail that he has passed underneath and lodged into, into the waiting arms of uh, Dr. Ian Roberts, who has just showed up with Alan Vandermeer in the medical car. Um, and it's just, it, it defies, uh, it's un, it's literally uh, not believable. I think I, I couldn't, like, I thought I was watching a movie or something. Uh, it was just so unbelievably bizarre. This... In your brain... Yeah, sorry, Rob. Yeah, no, but, like, this to me is uh, one of those moments where, correctly, there was a lot of praise for the steps F1 has taken to make the sport safer. But also, this was as clear an example of, like, all of those steps basically reduce the chances that a disaster like this would not be fatal but it still felt in the moment like we got very lucky there like this was every single expectation for what happens to an f1 car during a crash was basically it seems to me like it was shattered at this point like in terms of the, the the way that accident unfolded at that part of the track um seemed like it pushed so far beyond what f1 expects to happen and plans for and in some ways, like it was very fortunate the way it failed. Like the thing that I can't get out of my head is, um, you know, he struck the barrier at 137 miles an hour. Uh, the onboard computer registered an impact of 50 G's, a, D, a 50 G deceleration. Mm. Um, and like a like an arrow, the front of the car pierces the guardrail and goes through the slats. Uh, basically. And the thing I can't get out of my head is like, it feels like we were very lucky that he, yes, the halo saved him in that, in, in that incident because it like, uh, it peeled the guardrail apart and prevented the guardrail from striking his helmet. Uh, but at the same time, it feels to me like there was also nothing preventing him from being lodged under a piece of guardrail, uh, while his car burned. And like, that was the thing where I'm uh, like, it was one of those things where after they cleared it away and you saw like the survival cell um, all covered in the, you know, fire suppressant. Um, and it no longer really looks like much of a piece of a car, but you can see where the, um, 
uh, where, where like the uh, part the seatbelt straps. Yeah, the seatbelt straps and the thing that goes around their neck. You can see where that is, oh, yeah. uh, and you and you and you see that uh, in the cockpit, and you realize like he didn't have a lot of clearance to get out of there, um, and he was in the flames for twenty eight seconds, mm. uh, and it's just like it's it's one of those things where. You make all these steps to reduce the risk that any of these things will be fatal or catastrophic. But here you basically still exceeded all those tolerances and they gave him a chance to get out of there. But I'm not sure like this. is This is one of those things where uh, and I think Ross Braun was alluding to this after the race. There's a lot here to take some pride in, but also there's a lot in this accident that is deeply worrying. It's uh, it feels like the opposite of so many. I was thinking back about like what it felt like, you know, in 2015 in Japan and, you know, in Imola in 92, right? 94. Um, and those felt tragic in even more so because it felt like an inch either side and they would have been okay. And this felt like the total opposite. This felt like mm-hmm. everything was going against him walking away from this. Between the halo, the fire, the retardation of the car, the, the way angle of he impact. could have been trapped, the angle of impact, the way he could have been trapped, the like there's there's so many the the fire suits that they just updated. Um so many things could have and should you know, not should have, but could so easily have not worked. And then also the unknowns that happened where the car splits in half and there's a, like just things that like they didn't know about. And and this feels like almost like 30 years of bad luck coming good finally or something. It just felt like I cannot believe like like lethal weapon three races from retirement. We could have so easily have like lost. He's probably never going to race. That's probably it, right? He's probably not going to uh, I think now. he's already talking yeah. about coming back. <laughs> yes. For Abu Dhabi? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fair play um but like yeah it could have so easily and we don't even think that you know god it's it's nuts absolutely the whole thing like well, like you said it just gives me tri- thr- thrills chills um watching it because it's just it seems so implausible that he walked away well i hadn't i hadn't seen uh he made some remarks about uh, what happened he, he was talking to uh I think he was talking to a couple uh, French outlets, uh, but he was describing like what it was like for those 28 seconds. Um, and apparently like he had to try three times before he got out of the car. Oh no. Um, and so like, uh, you know, he describes just being there kind of just wreathed in flame. Uh, and it just sort of seeming like it took forever because it took him uh, three tries to uh, escape the, the tub and uh, get, get out of the car um and of course in that his his boot had come off uh his uh, his foot was um a bit burned um but that's interesting because the test is seven is it five seconds now no it's seven now it used to be five because they, when they introduced the halo they updated it to seven so in barcelona they have to do their whatever evacuation test um they have to be able to do it and i think it's seven seconds so three times is you know 22 seconds or whatever 21 seconds so then he's well, and, this, and that's how long it was before he jumped out, right? Yeah, and this had to be, like, uh, just the worst conditions. Because, like, he doesn't have the clear, like, free escape. Because, like, there's still probably some guardrail impinging on his normal escape route. Uh, but, yeah, I can't imagine the 
saying Freud uh, to get yourself out of that situation uh, because mm. like literally like I, I assume we couldn't see anything into that fire. So presumably yeah. like he was just blinded uh, in there. Um, well, apparently just, all his he had, he had an entire race worth of tear offs on his visor and they melted immediately. Apparently mm-hmm. so we couldn't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Um, he, he says, the, uh, in that in that um, French interview, I think this quote I have here from from race fans quoting that interview, he says, uh, "To get out of the seat, I was able to remove my seatbelt. The steering wheel was no longer there. It probably flew off during the impact. Oh my god! Um, in the end, my hands were burnt and I had a big sprain. I thought I had broken my foot. Um, and then yeah, uh, Ian Roberts, um." who was, again, um, the doctor there from the medical car helping him uh, out, says um, he was obviously very shaky and his visor was completely opaque and, in fact, melted. I managed to get his helmet off to check everything else was okay. Uh, So he, the sequence of events is the medical car shows up, um, Dr. Roberts hops out, and then he is met by a track marshal named um, Corporal Thayer Ali Tahir, who had run across the track after all of the cars had gone. And it's a wide was, track, too. He sprinted. Yeah, and he, was, right he was trying to get his extinguisher working. Dr. Roberts helps him get that extinguisher going, and then he blasts it at Grosjean, who's climbing out of the car, and then um, Roberts helps him down. At the same time, uh, Alan Vandermeer is grabbing a, an extinguisher from the back of the medical car, and then as Grosjean comes out of the flames also gets doused by him. And then there's another marshal on the outside of the track, Sergeant John Matthew, um, who is battling the flames from the other side. I felt bad for that dude because on the camera shots, the the firewall happens at him, basically. So they all run back. It's the usual marshal thing of when that thing happens, make sure you're safe and then go fix it, right? And he runs back away from this fireball and immediately pulls the pin and starts spraying. But he's like 40 yards from the incident. So he's like, and it's probably like unbearably hot, right, where he is. And he's slowly encroaching on it. But the flames were coming that way. And also, I think the ground was t- looked like it was covered in something. So that must have felt like it was fuel or something, right? But he was on the wrong side anyway to really help because what they're supposed to do is basically douse where the driver is so they can extract them um yeah, yeah. uh some some more quotes uh, from grosjean um first from his uh his video that he put on social media uh i wasn't for the halo some years ago but i think it's the greatest thing we brought to formula one <laughs> and without it i wouldn't be able to speak to you today uh and continuing with the interview from the, the french publications uh, it felt much longer than 28 seconds. I see my visor turning all orange. I see the flames on the left side of the car. I thought a lot about a lot of things, including Nikki Lauda, and I thought that it wasn't possible to end up like that, not now. I couldn't finish my story in Formula One like that. And then uh, for my children, I told myself I had to get out. I put my hands in the fire, so it, I clearly felt it burning on the chassis. Oh I, I got out and then felt someone pulling on my suit, so I know... Uh, I knew I was out. It's the biggest crash I've ever seen in my life. The car catching fire, exploding, and the battery that burst into flames too. So it added a lot of energy to the impact. Uh, I would say that there is a feeling of being happy to be alive, of seeing things differently. But also there is the need to get back in the car, if possible, in Abu Dhabi to finish my story with Formula One in a different way. Wow. People are a different breed, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. It's just like I don't know. I don't know where they make them. <laughs> it's uh 
It's something else. I hadn't thought about that where by the time Ian Roberts had turned up, Dr. Roberts had turned up, um, uh, I guess they they were looking for Grosjean in the fire. And then by the time they saw where he was, he was extracting himself. But I hadn't considered the, the idea that Grosjean didn't know where he was. That like, it wasn't until he was touched that he knew he was back in safety because he couldn't see anything. That's incredible. It's even though, because like, you don't even know where you're jumping at that stage. Yeah, you're jumping onto the wrong side of the... your body is in. Right, yeah. That's that's something else. Um, can I read the tweet I sent you guys on Discord afterwards that made me a, bit, a little bit weak at the knees? Yeah. Um, French journalist uh, Julian, uh, I want to think it's Fabrau, Fabrau, uh, received a message from Jules Bianchi's mother right after the incident saying, they introduced the Halo following my son's accident and the Halo saved Roman's life today. This is great. I'm glad he's okay. I think if if nothing else, this has you've seen the shots of the Halo after the fact. It's like, you know, it's it's it did it it didn't do it didn't arguably I'm not sure if it did the job it was designed for. I don't think anyone designed it to to go through a barrier like that. But um, yeah, it saved his life. It's wild and poor. Huh. Yeah, it was nuts. We we're just thinking about it. one of the worst in radios to hear is as uh, um. Uh, Charlotte Clares. Um, obviously, what happened in uh, GP2 last year as well. And then, obviously, Jewel and uh, Roman being the other sort of, like, Francophile within that little group of them. You know what I mean? Um, he was pretty... Uh, um, he sounded the most, like, scared of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, yeah, like you said, every single driver, though, was was concerned. Yeah. Uh Jen. Yeah, wild. It is wild. very ironic that uh, Roman admitted after you know he didn't like the Halo uh, when it came in. Mm. Um, it's it's weird. It's one of those things where now I think we've seen enough from the Halo. We're like, of course, this like how would anyone have opposed the the Halo? Uh, although I do wonder if this accident also uh, maybe provides a case against canopies. Um, yeah, jeez, oh like, my god! Uh, like I don't know, maybe like maybe it would have just kept the momentum and like allowed him a cleaner exit if the canopy integrity held. But like it sure looks like that would have been in it, like a real good chance of like uh, like confining him uh, while while the car burned. Um, what did we make of? So you know we got we got a lot of shots of once they a TV production issue occurred here. Which is that right. the track was fucked. Um, the crash barrier was now no longer a crash barrier. It had pieces of a car uh, you basically have to secure all the bits of equipment because now there's going to be an investigation. The barrier is broken. Race isn't going to restart for a while. Um, and I think also everyone was very curious what had happened. Like everyone in the, everyone in the pit lane was clearly nervous and torn up. Uh, over this the the shots from the Haas garage were yeah. were affecting um but then you have about 20 minutes to kill thereabouts and like an hour and a half wasn't it before they started the race again it, it was a while um but yeah so like they start analyzing the accident uh mm. quite a bit um and after the race a number of drivers but i think most outspoken was was Daniel Ricardo uh, calling it ghoulish to replay the accident uh, that much. And I'm curious what y'all make of that. Number one, I totally sympathize with 
the drivers, uh, I understand them thinking that. Um, I so I watched the couple replays and then fast forwarded through the the red flag. So I don't really mm. have a sense as to like how often they re- show the replays again and again. But I think if we didn't know the condition of Grosjean, like if he was you know whisked away unconscious or something to the hospital, don't show the replay because you don't know. But if you know everyone's okay, I think I think the audience should be able to understand what happened. You don't need to go over and over and over again, and which I don't think is what they did. If, if I recall correctly from my, you know, watching it in fast forward. Um, I think what might be a little more egregious to me personally is like if they had gone really hard on social media you know here's all the angles and slow-mo and all this stuff they did clip out uh you know the accident for youtube i haven't watched that particular clip um yeah but they but weirdly but the highlight of the race does not have it i mean it has the accident it it has does it have the incidents but then but then they immediately it doesn't show it just gets that keeps going uh, I think right? it's. That's- I think it's more of a real. T- uh, yeah, I watched it a few hours ago, but it's more of a real time. Yeah, they don't linger yeah. on it. No, they don't show any of the replays. They don't. You know, they have the, the. I think they have the live feed fireball, but they don't show the helicopter shot or any of the replays. Yeah, I could be I th- wrong. I thought. I thought that was the case, but that was. I watched it, it like two days ago. Again, yeah, it didn't feel egregious to me at the time, but I totally understand a driver saying like, "We don't need. You don't." you know, we don't need to see that over and over again. It, it could probably yeah, feel yeah. to them like much closer. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Also imagine the context in which he's watching it, right? Where they're in this empty ass stadium and there's televisions everywhere and they're all showing the international feed. And they have so, to get back like, in their cars. Yeah. And they're just hanging around and they're looking up at the jumbotron and every screen that's in every pit, every garage is showing this thing over and over again. Like, yeah, that's got to be way more weird than, you know, me sitting in my underpants in the morning watching it, you know, it's like, that's gonna, that's gonna be way more messed up. So yeah, the the only ones that I felt were like more difficult to watch was there's the, the long shot of the helicopter shot where they, yes. where you realize how long it was. Um, and then, yeah, somebody posted, put it together. I saw you post in, in our discord, the, the, the one where they taped that together with the other scary one, which is the, sort of very matter-of-fact shot of Grosjean trying to get out of the car. Like, they're the two most upsetting ones, probably, and they showed them once or twice. But they showed the helicopter shot of the impact a lot during that red flag. They kept, they kind of, they'd wait 20 minutes and show it again. And uh, Yeah, and uh, you know. again, this is just me, and you can choose to believe me or not, I guess, but, like, I've watched that a number of times, not because, you know, oh, cool, a fireball or... Mm whoa um what a crash but to try to understand what happened um and just wrap my head around it and and maybe to tell myself that this is a a, you know a freak accident that that some that this exact thing could not happen again or or just try to reassure myself that like in the future it'll be different um i I, it reminds me a bit of the i remember reading you this years ago so uh, apologies if I don't get this 
entirely right. But I do remember reading about the psychology of why people used to rewatch um, atrocities. Um, and this was sort of framed around the September 11th attacks, which of course were one of the most filmed, you know, atrocities probably like ever up until that point, right? Um, you know, it's it's like people watching the JFK assassination, but now you've got dozens and dozens of angles and you can watch it in, in grislier detail. Um, and the argument that was being made was that when people are scared of something, when it, when it makes them, uh, when something happens that they don't understand and it strikes fear in them, that they reach for meaning and understanding. And the only thing you can, the only thing you have to pull generally, or usually the quickest thing you have in these situations is the replay. So you end up finding yourself watching it over and over again to sort of, like almost like to soothe yourself, uh, you know, to, to try and come to, to try and like, allow yourself your brain to file it away you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so i don't know if that's the case in this situation but i certain every time i watched it i saw something new and i understood something new and then you know i think the f1 viewer is very detail orientated and so many of these incidents and you know Racing is very detail-oriented. The overtake that happened here happened because of the delta speed, the, 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 you know, the line they took and the tires. Like, that's how we analyze the sport anyway. So, you know, why wouldn't we not analyze this sport this way? But yeah, I think if, if he hadn't have been conscious, conscience, conscious, sorry, um, the, I don't think it would have been the same thing. But the, showing the, the video is less impactful than not showing it. Those two minutes where they didn't show it, with the longest of the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Rob? I don't know. I'm I'm sympathetic to why it might feel that way. Uh, but at the same time, this isn't the 60s. Like, this isn't Grand Prix era where, like, people watching on TV are kind of sitting there. Uh, gee, I hope I see some gory wrecks. Uh, this isn't NASCAR in the 90s where they'd be promoting it with, like, pictures of uh, NASCARs end over end flipping themselves into pieces and being like, you're going to see some of this action uh, when you watch the mm-hmm. race. This isn't what F1 has been selling. It's not what the F1 fandom uh, has been about. I think it's kind of, I understand where it's coming from, uh, but at the same time, like, I think it sells the sport and its audience short to think that there's some sort of ghoulish or prurient interest. Um, like, I hear that and I'm like, I don't know. It sounds like this is displacing. Uh, some fear and anxiety about like when F1 drivers are, or, are brought face to face with the actual danger of their sport. Um, Cause a lot of them mm-hmm. do talk about like they know intellectually that the sport is dangerous, but also none of them believe it's that dangerous because it's safer than it's ever been in a lot of ways. And so to an extent, I think drivers are probably particularly affected by seeing this stuff uh, cause it does sort of pierce a uh, kind of a, a bit of a, uh, a bit of a bubble that I think a lot of them, uh, sort of will into existence by by saying like sport is safer than it's ever been it's not going to happen um th- those days are behind us and and i think uh it is i think mean, it hits drivers very hard now uh when when they see stuff like this because it is such a foreign experience uh you know in, in the sport um you know, you, you know, uh, beyond uh, Jules is not that long ago, but at the same time, in some ways, that one was so fluky and weird in itself that you could almost say, well, that wasn't really a racing incident. That was mm. like that was that was bad procedure uh, during a car recovery in the rain. Like just like that, like that wasn't that wasn't a race. Um, this was, and and this was this was a case of. Uh, 
people doing racing things dumping a car into a catastrophic uh, accident. Um, I think one of the things I'm curious about if they if they ever do analysis on the accident, um, which I I think they're absolutely doing a lot. Of, yeah, I just can't. I just couldn't stop. Uh, my partner noticed at first. There's that big piece of debris that hits Grosjean's car um, as he's coming over uh, into that sort of drift to the right or slice to the right, I should say. But there's that big piece of debris that goes right under his uh, right tire and through his the right side of his suspension. And you see it exit the back of his suspension. Oh, I, never uh, saw, I didn't oh, think yeah, I saw no, that. Oh, yeah, no, because there's a little contact in front of him. And so there is a big piece of debris uh, that does get into his uh, like under like undercarriage under tray. Right. Um, Doesn't pierce the monocoque though. No, but like or, or it, hit it or... you know, um, uh, Kroon Chandok did point out that like the minute it does hit him, it does kind of coincide with him appearing to lose the car. Um, and so it's just it's one of those things where it, it already seems like he was on his way into. You know, he he made a bad decision, maybe, or an unaware mm-hmm. one. Uh, but at the same time, it does also kind of like, just for whatever reason, that slide becomes really drastic at that moment, and he just keeps going. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if they ever do, mm. like, see if that caused anything. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's, there's a lot of questions uh, about this accident. I think one of the yeah. other big ones is what... F1 racing circuits construct accidents. Like they make choices about what type of accidents are going to occur. Um, this one, you know, you can see the way that guardrail is uh, designed. It's meant to funnel people along it and leave room for that, for that access road um, for safety vehicles. And obviously this one was like an, a wildly unforeseen uh, impact angle but I think one of the other questions is, did like, was this a disaster because of that guardrail, or was it a fluky escape because it was a guardrail uh, barrier there? Because um, there there are other barrier types that can they can put down in places like that. Uh, but sort of one you know one of the questions becomes what would have happened if it had been a different barrier. I had, I had a mate who used to work as a. Um civil engineer uh, uh he still does in australia but he was uh he was it was when he was um working in the uk and he was on motorways and uh he was in charge of a strip of motorway um he worked on like airport terminals and stuff like that right building places where people are right and where like risk management and safety and all that sort of stuff is like they have formulas for these things like they have actual you know formulas that that assess uh, the chance of something happening the chance of it being fatal and the cost right because if we had infinite resources all the time for everything you would make everything as safe as possible why wouldn't you right um, and he told me about the formula. It was almost like a Fight Club-esque style conversation where he was talking about where they put barriers and how, you know, how long a turn needs to be. You know, if a turn is happening at a certain amount of angles on the road, it needs to occur over the course of like two miles or or this amount of feet or that sort of stuff. And he said, yeah, there are like, we have bona fide like, the, like uh, um, equations that we use to basically... Um, uh, judge where we put crash barriers and where we put safety stuff right because we can't put them everywhere and it would be interesting to know what 
the decision is for those circuits, right? This is a Tilkadrome, it's a relatively new one, but of course it was paid by the local authorities there, so, you know, or a private company in, in, in the region. So obviously they probably made a lot of the decisions over that sort of stuff. Um, but it does raise that question because you're like, this was a freak place to crash, right? It was like Kimmy in, in Silverstone, right? It was it was a it's weird when we see crashes happen halfway down a straightaway. And we're not talking about blame in this instance because of the how close we came to losing someone's life, but this wasn't Danny Kivat's fault, right? Roman took a drastic action, didn't realize there was someone on the inside of him, and crashed into a part of the track that no one was expecting him to. Um, do you mitigate, like, can you, like, maybe, like, I, it's, it's, it's a, it's worthwhile asking the question of, should they start to look at, like, is there cost effective or cheaper, easy ways in which they can solve for these problems? Um, and yeah, that's only one of the many things that, that we look at this crash and see, like, is there a problem with, like, did the fuel tank explode? But there's still no one's quite sure if the, you know, which part caused the fire, um, you know, should we get rid of those types of barriers entirely if they're going to split like that? Like Rob, you, you drew were saying about him extracting himself from the car. It seems like coming away from this, we often have like one question, right? Would the halo have helped someone here? Or would, you know, this have helped someone here? Or like tethers on the wheels came off. Both his wheels went fucking miles away, by the way. Um, thankfully, it didn't hit anyone. But in this one, it feels like there's like six or seven different questions we need to sort mm-hmm. of talk of there's six or seven things that were worked on for 20 years that saved his life and there's six or seven things that have dot dot dots after them now that we're not quite so sure about yeah and, and you know you're not really going to know i guess what what those are to still be worked on until something like this happens right yeah it's the uh, nature is, of it unfortunately right yeah that's why we have the the halo it's because something happened something terrible happened yeah, and there are other barriers. Um, Chainberry actually has a really good video about this that'll link in the show notes, where he, oh, cool. he kind of goes over um, the different kinds. The the one that that uh, Grosjean crashed into in this instance that we've been calling the guardrail is also alternate re- alternately referred to sometimes as an armco, which I don't think has been the brand name for decades, but that's just what everybody calls it. <laughs> it's the sort of steel band that's about a foot wide, pressed into a W shape. Uh, that's then bolted to to vertical posts, and and in this case there were it was three bands high, uh, and his car punched through the the one closest to the ground and the one second uh, on the way up. Mm. Um, there are the there are tire barriers, of course, which are just stacks of tires, um, anywhere from two to six stacks deep. Uh, they're held together by cabling, and then uh, have coverings enclosing them on the outside. Um. And then we have uh, probably the the third most common in, in uh, Formula One is the Tech Pro barrier, which are those uh, gray and red interlocking blocks of heavy polyethylene, um, which are designed to be pushed around uh, by the car. So they're they're used where you've got a lot of space, typically I think in corners. Um, but the the sort of uh, the mode of operation for a straight in Formula One is to have these the guardrail barriers because you're, you're assuming that a car is not going to hit them at that sharp of an angle. I think, um, it was race fans that I, that I saw this, that, uh, they concluded that Grosjean hit that at a 40 degree angle. Um, which is, Oh, sky actually, sorry. In, uh, Martin Brundle's column. Um, but uh, you know, in my head, it's, perpendicular you know so hearing that it was 40 is like uh and you and you look at the like the tire skids um before it the problem is that this is like you said it's the it's the 
part of the the barrier that's that's angled a little sharper into the track to account for the escape road. So, I mean, that could be something instead of angling into the track, maybe the, the opposite side angles toward the interior, uh, or if it's angled, um, away from, uh, you know, parallel to the course, maybe that is a tech pro, but you can't put tech pro everywhere. Cause again, it's really, really expensive, um, as opposed to, you know, stamped steel. So, um, what yeah, eats up and that the space. tech pro, yeah, tech also is not fail proof. Right. Like, remember signs in Sochi in 2015 where he went underneath it, uh, yeah. which was pretty uncool because that was um, before the Halo. So, uh, that was wonder what great. tech pro would be like in a fire. Yeah, yeah, could yeah. could people move those off? But uh, you know, they couldn't unbend steel either so well and that's the other part is like where like what precisely caused the car to shear like that uh was it the nature of the impact uh like would like was that thing always going to snap like that or was that because it was hitting guardrail i mean these are these are kind of the questions uh yeah. they're gonna have to get into but one thing i like i i did kind of come away wondering is with a high g impact like that in some ways i was thinking like if it was a tire barrier would that have just like I know to a degree they they act as cushions and so they do absorb a lot absorb and dissipate a lot of energy, but at the same time like um that might have just brought the car to a dead stop with all that g loading rather than in some ways like the car like expending a lot of energy blowing through a barrier like again this was one of those weird things where like um. I just I, I'm, I, like I don't know the physics of of motor racing accidents uh, well well enough to know, but like I was thinking, would would this have maybe been worse if that car had just been brought to a dead stop, uh, you know, at that full tilt, uh, head on impact, or not, or or, or bounced a bond to the track, yeah, which is exactly what happened to Antoine Hubert at the top of a roof, yeah, right. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's mad. It's it's yeah. Yeah, it's but no, Dan. I think you you said it perfectly. Like, yeah, there's like six or seven things you're gonna say. Like the history of like safety improvements in the sport brought like got us out of this. And you're also looking at it, it's like, and there's six or seven things that clearly nearly caused disaster here and uh, have to be accounted for somehow. Um, yeah, like what Rob said at the start about you said how it felt like we got away with this one. It really, really does. And you could, it felt like everyone. Like Ted Kravitz's stuff afterwards is about it. everyone just felt like that's a that was a gimme. You know what I mean? Yeah. Should we just uh, talk about Max real quick? Sure. <laughs> God. Uh, just oh yeah. All of us deeply oh, yeah, affected, yeah. horrified by what we saw. Uh, Max Verstappen. <laughs> um, if I had a driver who didn't want to get in the car after seeing something like that, he'd lose his seat. Mace. Mace. Cool, you Max. Can't say that. Like. That's bad. It's bad to say that. It's bad. Consider it's really bad when he, if he could remember what happened in Spa last year. Like, that's not... He didn't have to do that. A lot of them did. Like, yeah, literally and, did. And, and, so, and Jack Aiken, uh, F2 racer, rep- uh, responded directly to that, um, saying, I don't wish upon anyone the experiences that would make him realize how wrong he could be. It's not... Max just needs to, like, just... He needs to... He's like... He's like me on Twitter. You just just put it in your drafts and come back two hours later. And if it still feels like what you want to say, say it. But like it probably won't. Yeah, I, like, I'm just kind of at a point where it's like this is like this is the image the dude wants to project. Um, you know, and mm. it's a consistently bad one. And I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, I don't know. 
You're like, you're no longer, you're not a kid anymore either. You're like 23 years old. Like you're, you're now into an F1 career. Um, at some point, you know, dude, just shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if you're going to have to apologize for everything you say that's edgy, just stop saying them. Yeah. Like, just shut up. Like, just stop. <laughs> like, if you want like, hey, look, if you want to be that guy and then own us, like, sure. But if, like, if you're going to keep going back. Just stop it. Like, his PR person must absolutely... <laughs> they must never sleep. Um, yeah. And then... <laughs> and then we have a whole say, other race. I know, I know. And another accident. And I was like... And for all this to happen and for Al- for the next thing to happen, it'd be like such an afterthought. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, let's maybe blow through these as... as yeah. um, at a, at, a, yeah. at a faster clip then uh we restart the race after a lengthy red flag after yeah like an hour and a half or something mm. um on lap three from uh standing start and uh what is it turn it's not turn one is it eight no. isn't it um stroll, stroll is uh coming around kiviat on the outside uh and then at the corner the two collide kiviat um hits the inside of Stroll. Stroll's rear right connects with Kvyat's front left and Stroll rolls over. Mm. Um, do you know, do you know why you thought good. it was turn one? Why? Because that's where Maldonado did it to Gutierrez. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yeah. He was coming out of the pits and Gutierrez didn't know he'd come out of the pits and Maldonado threw it down the inside and flipped him. It's true. Mm. Yep. It was, uh, is that still our background on Twitter? It is, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, what was that? Remember Gutierrez's radio? What was that? What was that? <laughs> um, I, I initially blamed Stroll for this. Um, mm. Assuming that, you know, one of these moves where you make it and assume the other driver can disappear. Uh, but the stewards saw it differently. Uh, this is from racefans.net. The stewards held Kvyat responsible for the collision and gave him a 10-second time penalty I as well as two penalty points on his license, mm. saying, quote, uh, Stroll, they, they call him car 18 and Kvyat car 26, Stroll was on the racing line. Kvyat tried to complete an overtaking maneuver but failed to execute it. The stewards concluded that the driver of car 26, Kvyat, was wholly to blame for the incident. Uh, Kvyat says, I don't share the steward's view on that. I think I had nowhere to go. I already put my whole car on the inside curb. He, on the other hand, knew I was there, but he turned in as if I wasn't there. So I'm a bit upset at this decision. It's kind of ruined my race because I had a great second start. I was again back in the game, but this just ruined everything. Uh, Stroll Mm. insisted he, quote, didn't see anything before the impact. Quote, I couldn't see him at all. I was halfway through the corner when I got hit. I'm picking up my big stamp, my racing incident stamp, and I'm stamping it on this one. That's all right. The whole like he didn't complete the pass. No shit, he didn't complete the pass. Like since when is <laughs> yes? There's many passes in a race that do not get finished. And I understand what they're trying to the the line they're trying to draw is he didn't fully commit to it and stick it all the way in there and like like finish the job basically. But at the same time, like looking at it in real time. He was taking a look, and to me, and I think this happens every year, drivers know, uh, like, especially at these restarts, you know somebody's probably in there. Somebody's probably in your blind spot. You have to drive as if that is probably the case. And we Shoulders keep, in. Yep. Yeah, and we keep doing this thing where it's like, well, you know, he was on the racing line that clips the apex like that. And it's like, yeah, but it's not just, it's not 
a mid-race racing line where it's just the optimal path. It is a restart racing line where you know there's probably another car on an inside line. At that point, it's a two. It's like the racing. There are multiple racing lines in those situations, right. and yeah. he crossed from one track into the other. And that's what bothers me when I see these sort of rulings handed down. Because if you're going to be doing this, then basically we're always punishing a driver for like you know taking a look. And it never is on the person who goes a little bit elbows out, uh, you know, sort of trying to regain a regain a, a line that they might have lost. Um, yeah, but like in my view, Kafiat, like Kafiat, did it wasn't his best moment, but also, yeah, I'm not gonna say like ten seconds for that. No. Yeah, and two penalty points. Mm. And um, and it puts them in a nasty spot because they are trying to catch up, right? Ferrari had a good jo- did a good job last week. And they are trying to get that constructor spot back, right? And Ferrari have kind of shot the bed on the qualifying this time around. So this is a really good race for them to get a bunch of uh, bunch of points and strolls out. Can't flip the car back over. Yeah. Uh, also, another frightening moment here. A marshal run. Another marshal runs across the track to this get was later, to wasn't stroll. This was Perez, right? Wait, this, are you saying this, this happened is, uh, here too? Oh, no, did it happen, did it well? happen with Perez? Yeah, no, no, no this, this is lot 54. That's the other racing oh, okay. point. My mistake. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is pink. also wilder. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so spoilers, it gets get, worse for them. <laughs> yeah, to, to, I guess, bridge the two, uh, there's a restart on lap nine. The only people that provide much of entertainment here are Ocon, Leclerc, and Sainz. They all kind of pass each other uh, throughout yeah, this race. Um, but then, yeah, lap 54, Perez fire happens oh it's so uh yeah. and it's three laps from the end and he's third he's third place yeah um fire pulls over and yeah then we get a, a marshal running across the track right in front of norris who goes like whoa guy just ran across yeah, the track clearly clearly inspired by the guy who did it on the first lap but was like now we're in, we're deep into a race and this is like the third car so yeah. like, you can't be doing that you know? and also yeah. like this isn't an emergency fire right this is he was driving with this fire. He looked bad. It's a different thing. The, like at the like what it, the marshal was seeing. Like remember, there's that like jet of like electrical fire flame so, that is like yeah. coming out the back of it. Like, like I understand if you're keyed up from what's already happened in this race that you might yeah. be thinking, "Shit, I need to get over there." But at the same time, there's marshals on both sides of the track at this point, and yes, that is a that is a somewhat routine fire uh, in F1 these days. Um, but yeah, no, it was just just kind of a. Uh, Kind of a wild mistake, and it was just it was tough to oh, see man. how gutted uh you know Safnauer was to to see things mm-hmm. go bad for Perez and like they like they like Perez like I think if they had their druthers they'd be continuing to work with them um yeah that's maybe they didn't maybe they didn't deserve those points because this is gonna get them third with the guy they're kicking out of the out of the, <laughs> the team guys like are this, punishing you for your greed totally this is pure like yeah. Because uh, at this stage, I think I have I have a I have a note back in lap thirty three when Bottas uh, Bottas um, overtook Leclerc into tenth, right, pushing Leclerc out of the points, and, and Vettel was in fifteenth. So they were getting a goose egg today, and it was so important for racing. Racing Point could have had two drivers in the top five, no problem, had it not been for that incident or and and this one, and it just like because next week is such a. No, nobody knows what's going to happen next week. True. So, like, or this <laughs> especially. week, especially. um so that's yeah uh that's how it ends we end behind the safety car um alex albon inherits third place yeah but uh keeping it oh actually 
sorry, I'm 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 interrupting a little bit because I'm so excitable. Um, the other thing that was happening here was that Gasly, right, was hadn't pitted and was on these absolutely wrecked tires. It's true. Uh, uh, and was like seventh. I think he'd lost maybe two places and was super struggling. And you know, he's saying I can finish the race, so I'm not sure how many positions I'll I'll be able to take. And the safety car came out and it was like, hey. Yeah, yeah, he was plummeting because <laughs> his tires were so old. And then, yeah. yeah. But here, I, I bless Gasly uh, at this point. I'm like, guy deserved a break. Uh, like, the, like he, the fate smiled on him. Uh, that was that was good. Um, and the last the last person who was, got, was in the good graces of the racing gods was uh, who was in the, the guy in fourth who had a, a rough weekend. Yeah, uh, Alex Albon moves mm-hmm. up, takes that place, third place. Uh, completing the podium with one Max Verstappen in second and Lewis Hamilton in first. Uh, Verstappen also scored an additional point for setting the fastest lap of the race. Behind those chuckleheads, Lando Norris in fourth, Carlos Sainz in fifth, and we've got Gasly holding on to sixth, uh, followed by Ricardo Botas making it up uh, from really the back of the field after he had to pit early with a puncture. Yeah, can I just say this is the most Valtteri Bottas race of all time where he qualified well, but behind Lewis had a bad start and then got a random puncture. Yes, <laughs> you're right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and then worked his way through the field, but not very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that car is not made for overtaking. That's right. right. That car has been designed to lead. Oh, well, this- uh, Ocon was, was ninth and Leclerc <laughs> was 10th. Yeah, Rob. Oh, just a quick thing. Now, Brundle is on team. We should do qualifying races because he's like, no, all the engineers will ever do is keep building cars for peak performance and not yeah. overtaking. And like, we need something that forces them to design for overtaking a little bit better. And I'm like, yes, yeah, see, everyone agrees. Even Mr. I am more <laughs> F1 than thou, uh, Martin Brundle, is like, shit, like, we really need to do something about these cars following abilities. Uh, Kvyat was 11th. Russell was 12th, again, tantalizingly out of the points uh, or close mm. to the points. Sebastian Vettel in 13th, followed by Latifi, Raikkonen, Giovinazzi, and Magnussen. DNFs, again, were Perez, Stroll, and Grosjean. Uh, in overall standings, Lewis Hamilton, of course, is uh, way out ahead and with 332 points. Valtteri Bottas is 201. Uh, speaking of tantalizingly close, Max Verstappen in third place with 189. Two races left. A lot could happen. Uh, yeah. Daniel Ricciardo is in fourth with 102. Sergio Perez has 100 and Charles Leclerc has 98. Lando Norris is in seventh with 86. Carlos Sainz and Alex Albon have 85. Also wow. very close. Uh, Pierre Gasly's in 10th with 71. Stroll has 59. Ocon with 42. Vettel has 33. Kvyat with 26. Hulkenberg still in 15th with 10 points. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi have four. Grosjean has two. Magnussen has one. Nicholas Latifi and George Russell have zero. In the constructors... Go ahead. Renault must be so happy. Like, just thinking about last year, they've really, you know... Both drivers are on good spots. They're they're battling there for that fourth place. They um, got helped a lot by this race. Um, yeah, big time. Yeah, Mercedes of course points. has uh, secured first place. Red Bull's got two hundred and seventy four. McLaren has a hundred and seventy one in third place. Behind them, Racing Point has one hundred and fifty four. Renault has one hundred and forty four. Ferraris in sixth with one hundred and thirty one. Alpha Tauri has ninety seven. Alpha Romeo has eight. Gene Haas and team with three and Williams with the goose egg. You gotta say now, McLaren probably have that one sewn. Well, a lot can happen. 
Yeah, I guess actually the racing points are capable of winning, so that's a lot of points. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say that. But it does feel like Ferrari are kind of going to be where they're going to be, I think, you know. I don't think they're going to get more than 13 points spread on Renault over the next two races, but I've been wrong many times before. Well, speaking of shooting your mouth off, uh, let's take it to the news. Danny, <laughs> hit us with this first one. Are you talking about Nikita? Is this a, a commentary on Nikita Mazepin? Uh, perhaps, actually. He has... Yes. He he does get a bit fighty in the in the in the garage. Uh, yeah, um, Haas have announced one of their two drivers. The you know rumor, long running rumor, has been Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. There's been some scuttlebutt about them waiting for the formality of the um, super license points uh, to come in. That hasn't stopped them announcing Nikita Mazepin, everyone's favorite rocket launcher from Metal Gear Solid um, slash uh, son of Russian billionaire slash pretty good driver. Um, He's been in. Uh, he's been driving uh, in Formula Two. He's currently sixth. Uh, no, sorry, he's third in the championship at the moment. Um, in the the very uh, fun championship, which everyone should watch the races this weekend because it's going to go down to this weekend. We are the the Callum Eilat and Mick Schumacher are right beside each other. Um, Eilat, of course, who has been famously gave a. I'm not sure if he broke his jaw, but he like gave him a pretty bad uh, black eye after. They had an incident a number of years ago. Uh, Maspin's a good driver. He's tasty. He brings money with him, which Haas will be happy with. Um, but he's not a paid driver. He he he's he's good. He's third in a very competitive Formula Two grid. Um, he's been uh, uh, fun to watch. He's an aggressive driver. Um, and he's good. And I think, yeah, I think now we have him. And if they were if we're doing like a sort of Roy of the Rover style comic book F one. Um, story mode we now have our Russian billionaire son and our American billionaire son and I can't wait to see them go at it well Stroll's Canadian but oh whoops yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like he's like Drake or Alanis Marcette I always just assumed they were American growing up and they'll always be American to me uh yeah Nikita Mazepin punches people and uh, has gotten a number of penalties for dumb things he's done on racetracks including like Hammering the second place sign so hard that it almost hit Yuki Tsunoda in the in, <laughs> in Park Ferme. Sounds like a cool dude. Um, yeah, I can't wait. It's nice need to a have bad villains. boy. We need a heel. Yeah, exactly. Who's the bad? Who's the bad boy right now? Who's the Who's the biggest heel? It's literally, Max. Like literally, like yeah. And he's only gonna get worse. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, the guy is These getting two more. Seem edge cut from the same cloth. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Um. Speaking of replacements. Yeah, driver news. Uh, Roman Grosjean will not race in the Sakhir Grand Prix, but one Pietro Fittipaldi will. It's, he's their test driver. He's driven in a number of test sessions for them over the years. Uh, he is the grandson of one Emerson Fittipaldi. Um, that'll be fun to watch. Uh, yeah, next generation. And there's one more replacement that we have yet to fill. Actually, you know what I should do is just pull up uh, F1 Twitter right now and <laughs> see. Dude, if this morning, this morning has been insane. Yeah. I thought we were like, oh, we're going to only get to talk about this crash. It's going to be, uh, you know, morbid, but, but, but gratitude. And then that'll be that. And then everything happened today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton has Hamilton COVID. Yet. Yeah, that. <laughs> basically is the long and the short of it. And we don't know at the current time of recording who's going to replace him. George Russell looks like he is the front runner. Uh, but if Williams that doesn't does make not, sense, they have, I mean, 
he's and he's Total did... Wolf's boy. But if they don't, if Williams doesn't release him, Stoffel Van Dorn is officially on the backup, the reserve driver list. So is Esteban Gutierrez, but he does not currently have a super license. And Van Dorn is racing in. It's a testing in Formula E at the moment. He's in Valencia. Yeah, he literally or something. like hopped out of a car and onto an airplane just in case. So he is right. flying to Bahrain right and now. And he's their reserve driver. Like they have to run him. Like how can you not? Like it just seems unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, last thing, Rob, or you have two things. Here. Oh yeah. Well, there's two things. Uh, so uh, it looks like Hamilton caught COVID from the Pirelli uh, tires that they're proposing for next year. No, uh, but he did. He he did get out of the car so pissed at Pirelli's. Uh, prospective 21 tires uh that he basically just unloaded on pirelli's efforts remember this is the second time pirelli's rolled out new compounds to try and replace what they've been racing on uh they proposed new compounds for 2020 and drivers hated those at the last test and said let's stick with the 2019 compounds so here's pirelli again proposing compounds uh that are also supposed to carry over into the new spec uh, cars and Hamilton basically finished his test. Number of the drivers shared this view uh, that the tire feels slow and kind of crappy. And Hamilton said they've had two years now to develop a better tire. And we've arrived with a tire that's three kilos heavier and is like a second worst per lap. I know for the fans that doesn't really make a difference, but from a driving point of view, we're working with brands and partners who are at the forefront of technology and elevating and moving forwards. And if you're going back after two years of development, then I don't know what's happening. Uh, Mm. so this was broadly echoed, uh, up and down the grid. Uh, Pirelli does not seem to be making tires that are making anyone happy. Uh, and so yet again, we've got kind of a driver mutiny, uh, on our hands because everyone is, they they can't make everyone happy. Um, and so it seems like the drivers are going to keep forcing them onto this uh, spec that everyone already has hated for the last two years. The other thing is speaking of, uh, like competitive formula one cars, Ferrari is suggesting Power unit convergence. How can we make the <laughs> engines perform more like one another and make it more competitive? Ferrari suggests fuel flow rates. Perhaps that Amazing. is a way Amazing. we could make up for a better show. Uh, and Total Wolf, is already, last time. <laughs> Total Wolf is already out there uh, losing his mind about it and saying it's an insult uh, to, to F1. This is a meritocracy, and it was always a meritocracy. And as we all know, Toto, there ain't nothing wrong with the concept of meritocracy. Oh my god. Boy. Um well, we uh we talked a little bit last week about uh how Bahrain is going to be Danny, it's the outer rim. It's a box that, with a squiggly top. Uh, anything else to add? Foval. It is. I know we're I know we're running to close on time, so let me give my, my I'll give you my three things that you should think about when it comes to this track. It is very it is the uh it's 87 laps, which was 57 last week on oh this Monaco Monaco's 78. Right, so this oh, is geez. more laps than Monaco, and crucially, it's uh, it's only 0.2 kilometers longer than Monaco, but it's way faster. So the current Monaco record is 114.4. This is a sub one minute. This is like a 54 second qualifying time. <laughs> awesome. So this is going to be insane. There are eight right hand turns and three left hand turns, and the three left hand turns aren't even that fast. I don't know what's going to happen. It's bizarre. This is going to be very, very strange. Um, it's basically the 2020 circuit, but instead of folding back in, or sorry, the 2010 circuit, instead of folding back in, you cut a chicane and you end up on the back straight. Uh, only two DRS zones as well, so should be interesting. Wow. Uh, same tires, same weather, 
Um, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at <laughs> Shift Up One Podcast. I am Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at uh, Rob Zachney. Not a lot of racing around the world to be had. Not a uh, lot of racing around the world. <laughs> it's true. Um, Formula One kicks off Friday at uh, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN News. And Free Practice 2 is 12.30 p.m. on ESPN 2. Saturday, December 5th, Free Practice 3 is at 9 a.m. on ESPN 2. Qualifying at 12 p.m. on ESPN News. And the race, everyone, Sunday, December 6th at 12.10 p.m. on ESPN 2. The Deuce. And yeah, watch that Formula 2 race. That's the only other thing I'm not calendar. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe Schumacher will mess it up. Who knows? All right. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. Yeah.